Want to discover leading strategies, share experiences and connect with fellow consultancy leaders from companies like EY, PwC or Porsche Consulting? Then join us in Munich for the Leaders in Consulting Conference on the 27th of June, a one-day event exclusively for consultancy leaders like you. Places are limited, so head to leadersinconsulting.com to claim your ticket now. That's leadersinconsulting.com. See you there. I learned that it's much easier to hire new people if you have um, such an interesting story, if you are placed all over Germany, you have more career opportunities you can offer as well as you have more locations. So, and that worked very well. And from that time on, I saw the power of private equity as well as um, of the power of business if you're doing it right. Welcome to the Leaders in Consulting podcast, part of the Leaders in Consulting community where thought leaders from the world's top consultancies come together to learn, network and get inspired. If you are a partner or a managing director of a consultancy, don't miss this year's Leaders in Consulting Conference in Munich on the 20th of April. There you'll hear unique insights from companies like PwC, Bearing Point and EY. And you will be able to connect to top leaders of other consulting companies. Simply head over to leadersinconsulting.com to get your tickets. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Tilman Au. Um, he's founder and CEO of Diva E. Um, Tilman, welcome to our show. Sammy, thank you so much. It's a great pleasure. Yeah, pleasure is all mine. So tell me about your company, Diva E. Um, what are you doing? Uh, we are operating in the digital space so um, and our professional service company as well. So, you know, we are providing services for large European enterprise clients, from the digital commerce space. So installing software, um, programming websites, all those things around the digital space. Can you just name one, two, three clients so that we understand a little bit better in what space you're operating? Yeah, for sure. So we are, we are working for most of the um, DAX 30 companies like Allianz, Deutsche Bank, but as well for Aldi, which is a large customer of us. And um, yeah, for example, uh, a customer which is very famous or very well known all over the world is FC Bayern Munich, where we programmed the whole website and e-commerce shop. So that's a, just a, a short uh, a number of clients of our large portfolio. Yeah, But most um, clients are enterprise ones and we're doing large projects. So it's not about only the website, it's more the digital commerce um, application, backend connections, some things like that. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, and what is your job at your company? You know, I, I'm the CEO, yeah. <laughs> but um, one of my first mentors told me, if you are CEO, you have to take care of passion, performance, and purpose. And I think that is what my yeah daily heritage is. So um, um, in in a more formal way, you would name it as shareholder management, business development, all those things um, which are um, yeah compiling the, the daily assets of the company to one um, purpose-driven. Um, yeah, ship as well as yeah, um, dealing with um, our institutional investors or the um, banking uh, companies. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, can you can you give me a proxy for the size and growth of your company? Yeah, we will. You know, in uh, 23, I think we will break um, the 100 million revenue um, hurdle. So um, um, I think the growth will be up to 900 to 1,000 employees and 100 million euro revenue. And we are um, based in um, eight different locations in Germany. Yeah, The largest one is in uh, Munich, followed by um, Jena, Berlin, Karlsruhe, Leipzig, and some smaller offices in Stuttgart, Frankfurt, Hamburg. And we have an issuing um, location in Sofia, um, um, as well as an international office in Cincinnati in USA. How big is USA in Sofia? I think it's 10 employees in total. Um, you know, our initial approach was not to deliver um, our service internationally because honestly, and there's so huge space in Europe to grow to. Um, it was more driven by one um, and uh, today two clients um, um, which placed their services in US and we had not only to do the programming of the uh, digital application but also the um, dev operations so um and the daily uh, in the old world you would say hosting right today that is um driven by cloud services but we're doing all the maintenance stuff and so we had to uh, be in the local time zone yeah so um, there are 10 people doing all the dev ops for those clients okay 
And um, just to understand the, the the pace of your growth, uh, can you give us one, two, three numbers from a couple of years back? Because now you're roughly 900 to 1,000 employees, you're going to 100 million, but where were you at two or five or I don't know how many years ago? Yeah, yeah, you know, the um, Diva A story is not a typical one. Uh, we always claim, um, or we always use the claim, um, it took us 20 years to get famous overnight. And that is because of the story um, we uh, initiated the company um, yeah, by, um, by a buy and build approach in 2015. So in, initially, six companies um, were put together. And in 2015, we started with, um, I think it was um, 35 million euro revenue and um, um, 400 um, employees. And since then, you can see in the last six years, we had uh, we have mainly um, tripled our revenues. Um, yeah, tripled the yeah doubled the um, people growth as well. So there were five more acquisitions. So it's not only organic growth, but um, the organic growth rate was something about fifteen to twenty percent within the last three years. Yeah. So year over year, fifteen to twenty percent. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. Ah, yeah, I want just to add because you asked um, about the year over year growth. So. You know, we are living in an industry, so after all, we performed very well, but we're living in an industry where we had a strong background, um, a backwind driven by the corona pandemic. So, um, you know, even even smaller players or players um, who which um, were very, very um, offline driven in the past, they recognized to shift their activities to the digital space. So, um, yeah, we had really some backgrounds. But after all, it's really, um, we did a good job, especially, um, which was very uh, um, uh, yeah, tight tight race to um, hire all the people we need for our growth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Every consultancy leader I talk to says it's not uh, not so much a problem to find the project, it's more a problem of finding the right employees right now. Right now, it changed a little. Yeah, you see in the in the first quarter of twenty three, you see you see some you see the market is coming back or coming down a little. It differs from industry to industry, but right in the last two years, the game was not to find the projects, but to find the employees doing the projects. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, who's your ideal customer in terms of industry, company size, or whatever uh, type of um, of classification you use? Yeah, the. Yeah, idea one uh, would would um, be driven by by three topics. So first of all, we 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 claim to make our um, customers to digital champions, which um, which um, should have the base that they are still um, already a champion in their offline business. So we are working for large enterprise clients, um, which have mainly learned tradition and doing a very well business, but maybe they are not perfect um, placed um, in the digital space. So we transform them so large clients enterprise driven and um the second thing is that they ideal wise need our service from the beginning to the end so end to end from starting from the digital transformation consulting till the devops or the long-term operations of our applications in our own data centers or in the um, hyperscaler data centers and the third one would be a customer which is hosted or placed in europe but doing business internationally Mm -hmm. Very good. And you already mentioned something that that I see um, in in consulting companies that grow really fast. That is not only doing the strategic work, but also doing the implementation. Um, and if you have it top of mind, roughly, when you when you um, would have to divide 100% of your revenue to the initial phase of doing the strategic work, and then the whole execution phase afterwards, what percentage would be the initial strategic work, roughly? If, if you look at one client, you do a project for a client, a bigger one, you have the initial strategic phase that also another maybe strategic consultancy could do, yeah, but you maybe are doing, and then you have the whole rollout of the whole project from beginning to end. So what percentage is... Yeah, I would, say it's, I would say it's 10 to 90, 15 to 85. Honestly, when I look at our um, actual projects, it's more 5 to 95. That's but that's driven by the point that we have not the strong market position at the digital consulting space like we have in other um, um, topics. So um, we have to invest in um, that um, topic and grow there. So, but uh, I think in a typical project, it should be 10 to 90, 50 to 85. So the implementation is always bigger and larger. Yeah. Um, that's the reason why you can see like Capgemini or Accenture, why they've grown so much in the past driven by their IT services. Yeah. Yeah, and and how long um, 
does a usual project last or also how many mandates do you usually charge for an average um, project, whatever you can disclose? So a typical project from, from our point of view um, is um, something between um, 1,500 mandates to 3,000 um, mandates initially. And then it comes into a recurring uh, maintenance, um, which uh, figures out up to 100 to 200 mandates a year. Um, if there's nothing new added to the project. And yeah, most of the project, they, they are done within the, within the first year. Yeah. Because, you know, today most of the projects are done in an agile way. So um, you are, you're working with MVP. So we have um, a very short period to a prototype or um, something um, to test and to show up if it works. And so it's not in, as in the history, we had some waterfall conception stuff and it took one year till till your conception was done. And meanwhile, everything has changed around. So um yeah till today you, you can see the you can see the first revenue results within eight to 12 weeks that must be also cool for the c-level that's buying you to see something tangible in such a short notice. absolutely absolutely yeah it's from that point of view it's a little bit easier than in the past yeah um but on the other thing what is really um yeah interesting let's let's let me um, name it like that Interesting in our industry is that the um, technologies and the possibilities what you can um, do with the technologies change so fast. Yeah, that's really. Uh, for, for example, if you now look at ChatGPT, all the KI stuff which um, comes up with some things like low codes. Uh, so main uh, most ta most um, um, percentage of the programming stuff you did in the past will be done by computers in five years. So. All the things around change very fast. So today you can see the results much faster, but you have to you have to change your own application much faster. So yeah, yeah, it's an advantage. But on the other hand, it's um, the business is really has gone crazy within the last twenty years. Yeah, when I when I started in the late nineties, you could do something like a conception, a project, it was launched, and then you had like something like three to five years do nothing. Yeah, today no chance. You are you are always better, as you can say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a challenge on the one hand, but I mean, it's, I think, also really good for consultancies like yours because, um, I mean, you always have to adapt, but you're always faster in adapting than your clients. So it always gives you chances to do more, yeah? You know, you know, I, I talked to my mother, I think, half a year ago when we went to vacation, and she, she said, please explain me what you're doing today. And I said, I do the same thing like 20 years before, but the, today the projects are 10 times larger. But we also installed e-commerce solutions in 1999, But they were, they, 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 I think we, the, the clients, it was something like 100,000 DMAC or 200,000. And today it's 1 million to 2 million. Yeah, you know, on the one hand, because it's, you know, much more complicated, you have much more integration in the back end. But um, on the other hand, the technology has to change very fast and you have to invest um, day by day new. Yeah. At least your mother understands what you're doing. I always, I, 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 I nailed it down to, to like the only thing that my, my mother really can convey to other people. My son helps companies win clients, full stop. And then how? That's too difficult. That's like it's something. A great purpose. It's a great purpose. Yeah. <laughs> It looks like she, she could be a good sales guy for you. <laughs> yeah. No, she's a good businesswoman in her sense. Yeah. So you have a really, really interesting uh, founding story around Diva. You already touched it a little bit, but we want to go a little bit deeper now. So, what was um, your initial idea um, that you had for Diva E? Um, yeah, to um, maybe to deep uh, to dive into that, I have to begin a little bit earlier in my life. You know, I founded my first company in the mid '90s, so when the internet was really um, yeah starting. Um, so we we started right from university, did um, some programming stuff in HTML, and so my first company um, yeah um, was growing absolutely um, with no external capital um, on our driven on our own. Um, um, doing um, EBTA from day one. Um, so, and in 2011, we decided to sell the company um, um, to um, a German-based um, um, private equity firm, Equity. Also it's a Swedish one, but they, were, they have also an office in Munich. Um, and the idea of Equity was to group um, 10 companies around to build the German digital agency leader. And I brought my company uh, um, into that framework. 
I sold it to Equity and they financed all the initial inquisition as well as the um, expansion of the company, which was called UDG, United Digital Group. So, and there I learned many things. The one hand I learned um, institutional money can be very, very helpful to shape your company, especially if you are in the digital space, which was at that time, I think 100% entrepreneurial driven. So in 2011, 99% of the companies um, acting in digital space were driven by founders from the mid 90s. So there were no corporate education. So when those guys from the private equity company, they came to us and they taught us some really maybe easy things, but you never have, have been talking in that, uh, looking in that way on your company. So I learned um, yeah, um, how to um, shape a company from a corporate view. That was the one education I got from that um, step. The second one was we learned very fast the story that um, if you want to work for larger clients, you have to be a larger player that worked very well. From day one, when we established CVG, we had we switched our client portfolio from yeah, mid and small clients to large ones for the whole UDG. So that worked very well. And the third one, I learned that it's much easier to hire new people. If you have um, such an interesting story, if you are placed all over Germany, you have more career opportunities you can offer as well as you have more locations. So, and that worked very well. And from that time on, um, yeah, I, I, so the power of private equity as well as um, of the power of M&A business, if you're doing it right. And that was uh, maybe the opposite of the UDG um, experience. Um, the the guys um, who did the deal, they were very smart, but it was very hard for them to um, yeah to get um, in contact to the special entrepreneurial culture. You know, all those guys, they did their business for at least 20 years. They were very smart in the industry. They had no corporate education again. And, um, you know, uh, equity paid them yeah, some money for their company. So um, you had, after the deal, you had to deal with millionaires. So it was not only that they were entrepreneurial driven, they were entrepreneurial millionaires. So it was very hard to focus them on shaping the company, not lose the entrepreneurial spirit, and um, at the end, not lose their passion. Yeah, And that was something um, where we made very, very intense lessons, uh, what you... Um, what you should do and what you better should do never again. And, you know, if you are talking about people uh, company, which is a professional company, professional service company always, um, then, you know, if you lose the leader um, and you lose the culture, the DNA, the company goes down within minutes. Yeah. So it's only a matter of time. If you have 10 people heading the company and everybody is leaving. So it, you can, you can count that the other 90% of the company will leave as well within one or two years. If you don't have a new purpose, new people, and it's very, very hard to get in a company which was headed by one guy 20 years to install a new one from external source. Anyhow, I, I took all the experience and when I started working for the private equity industry, um, um, at the beginning deal-wise, deal by deal as an industrial advisor and in 2014, I met Emeron Capital Partners and we had the idea to do something, yeah, honestly, you could call it a copycat of the UDG, which was just mm -hmm. a DIVA-E today. Mm -hmm. There are so many questions I could ask, but um, then the podcast would be super long if we go into this direction. <laughs> but um, just maybe to to sum up the, the main point that um, you should avoid when you make a buy and build strategy and the main point that you should do right when you do a buy and build strategy. And maybe you have the examples of what went wrong or you generalize or and i know that dba is doing really well you maybe have a positive example with with uh, the company you're building right now because i think um that's super interesting for for company owners right now that think about maybe going in this direction um to see what could what what should they look out for so to say yeah yeah yeah, it's very hard to bring it down to one point. Um, so give me the chance. You can you can make a little bit more, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, first of all, you know, it it is a people game. It stays a people game. You, know, you have to um, um, figure out if all if you acquire many companies at one time, like we did. Yeah. If you acquire five companies at, at one time, so the founders they have to um, yeah they have to um, fit to each other. Yeah. So. From a personal view, if if you have somebody um, 
for example, when we talk about the UG case, we had one founder which was flying at Cessna, the other one was wearing a shirt with the logo of his company. So it was totally different approach. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to say what what approach is better. But anyhow, it was really it, it was hard hard to bring those guys together, thinking in the same direction. And um, so, first of all, you should figure out if the people have the same spirit and the same DNA. Yeah, it's the most important thing because you know it's all about people. If you Put the wrong people together, it will never work. Um, any, you can put so much money in the project, some so much consultants, it won't work. The second thing is... Um, uh, just to stop you there, and, and then you can go on with the second one. Um, but I think that's super interesting huh? because you, you, you are not buying small companies. I mean, the, these are sizable companies, but still it comes down to the personality absolutely. of the head of the company and you should pay attention to the personality so that they fit together. That's, I think, really interesting. Yeah, huh? because, you know, it's a professional service business. You, what do you have for assets? You don't have really assets. You have some company, some client contracts, but they are, today they are only one or two years Yeah. So you have you have no server something like that. So it's all about the people, and the people are even if the company is one hundred employees strong, they are focused on the guy who is heading the company. Yeah. So, and you have to bring those guys together with the other guys um, who are who have been heading their companies and are today part of the existing management. So my my recommendation, but it's it's always hard to um, um, yeah to to handle that in the private equity world is to do something like a people due diligence. That's much more important from my point of view than a tax or a, a legal due diligence where finance is important as well. But, you know, in those small companies, the legal risk is, yeah, maybe it's 1 million in total. But if the guy leaves and the whole revenue of 10 million is away, it's much stronger risk. And the people due diligence is very easy. It's more as a small assessment. But most of the PE companies say, no, we don't do it because those guys, they will feel like they are assessed yeah, and they don't want to work with us together. But at the end, yeah, the whole life is assessment. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you do it, if you create something like a development um, assessment, you can maybe put um, the founders in the situation that they could can learn something about themselves and um, even um, are um, able to prepare it better. But anyhow, that's the most important point. The second one is you have, um, um, I call it always a little bit um, a little bit joking, um, you have to create a vision which is called let's get rich together. Yeah, For sure, you pay some price for the company, but um, the story in an, um, something in a, in something like a buy and build platform approach we did it's always about the beginning of a journey, not of the end of a journey. So, and the beginning of a journey is how to create more value or new value. And maybe you have some, still some stocks or shares yeah, of the company, or you have some earn out, whatever. Yeah. It's very, very important. Yeah. Because again, if you, if, if you have, if you blow all the shares of the founder away, give him much of money. Um, so he's mentally out. Yeah, he's figuring out how much is his boat, his car, <laughs> the house. So and um, so, um, and the third thing is, um, which is very important, you have um, to establish uh, really um, clear governance because you know those guys they are always used to the idea. Um, if they stand up and have an idea, they do the idea. So which is which is good on the one hand because it's that's what we call entrepreneurial spirit is have an idea and bring it to the market. But on the other hand, if you're talking about a company which is at the end not only 100 employees, but a part of 1,000 employees, you have to take care of the rules. Yeah. So when we started, we did something like an integration concept. Yeah. But it was driven by all the founders. So we worked one year together and we developed all the rules and the ideas. And then it's if it comes to the founding of the company, it's very very important to say, okay, if there's a first manager, um, the uh, former founder which does not take care of the rules, he's out. Yeah. So I, we also, and that was maybe an, uh, yeah, totally different to the UDG story where they took two or three years and it's, you know, it's like children. If they see they can do it, they can do it again. So you, they, they, all the other kids also don't accept the rules. Yeah. So when we did the EVA story and the first guy tried to create new own rules, we didn't have agreed in the past. So he was out. Yeah. Um, so it's not only about incentive, it's um, as well about the yeah um, um, sanctions you do um, on bad behavior. Let's, let's call it like that. Yeah, It shouldn't be the, so hard as I tell it, but it's very important that it's also part of the game. Yeah, We create a story together and 
it's very important that everybody of us is really bring in his knowledge and entrepreneurial spirit, but also accept the knowledge and the entrepreneurial spirit and the value of the, all the other people. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that's really good. Um, let's, can you quickly recap, because I think that's now really interesting, recap the story from you had the idea, you you talked to um, your, your private equity um, partner, Emerem Capital Partners, I think it is, um, and, and then until now, high level, what were the steps that you took? Um, how did you select the right companies? And um, what did you do once you had the first couple of companies? So, because I never did something like this. So I don't know what the high value or high level, I mean, high level steps are that you do when you have this idea. And, and for you, it's really interesting because you were the initial idea giver building this whole thing, having some experience in exactly what you did, but wanting to do it better. So avoiding the mistakes that you did one time. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I, I just talked to a business partner one week ago because he's trying that for to do for another industry. Um, I wouldn't do it again <laughs> because it's really, it's really, you know, because in, in, in that year, on the one hand, you have to, okay, first you start talking to companies and some of the companies interested, other not. So, but this process from the first company, maybe, uh, so I started talking to, I think, 50 companies. So from the first to the last, it takes you six months. Even if you have uh, convinced the first guy at, let's say, week two, he, have, he has to wait 16 more weeks yeah, till it's clear if the idea works or not. So you have, in the first phase, you have always talked to 50 companies in total. But if the guys who are interested, you have to take more intent. So it's a lot of communication. So then you then you have maybe picked out a couple of companies. I think we started with 15, yeah, which were interested, and we said, okay, that could fit. So and then um, then you have the first date, the blind date, where all the companies met, and um, you know afterwards they you have always one or two who say, okay, I know your company, I like you very much, okay, or you're the guy who was you have been missing in my portfolio. But there are also other companies say, okay, I don't like that guy. Okay, he's crazy. So after the first date, you have figure out who's really who really fits together. So you have that second phase where you try to combine the fifteen initial companies to a to a to potential team. So that went down to twelve companies, and also again very intense to talk. Yeah. So and then it comes to the third phase where you start um, to doing some conce conceptual stuff. Yeah. So it's okay. Okay. We have a sales team which is creating a sales story, the portfolio story. You have some governance teams. Um, a third phase where they start to discuss, and um, um, in, within this phase also, um, it comes out that someone couldn't work with someone other. So it, it went down to I think eight or nine companies at that phase. So, but again, you have a lot of talking, and it takes a lot of time from the day one till the conceptual stuff is has been started. So maybe six months. So within the phase, some of the guys get new offers from outside. Their strategy changes. So you always the problem that and you know like uh, like every time in in your uh, career, it's then always a thing that the important companies say, okay, maybe I leave. So you are in the process. You have twelve companies left, and some guys say, okay, I have a new offer, I leave. So it's it's very very intense and communicating phase. And the first fourth fourth phase is if you go to the market and start talking to private equity companies because. Then you don't only have the communication to your team, which is always a little bit, uh, yeah, um, um, yeah, um, intense or um, uh, very interactive. You start talking to different PE clients, yeah, which have every every PE company has different view on the selection of the companies. They tell you, oh no, I don't want that company. I don't want it. I'm making you. So you have to you have to react in both ways, yeah. And I had a situation that uh, one piece uh, company says, I will take that six companies. The other said, I will take this co six companies. So we have to go back to your company and say, okay, there are only the six of us who can do that with firm number one. So, um, and at the end, in, in the phase four, you have to have so much uh, balls in the air, like, I um, don't know what the English word is, jongleur, yeah, that you... It's really hard not to go crazy, yeah? Because and, until they... Until they to the last day, it, it's a chance that it won't work. And then you have spent a lot of time and a lot of, um, yeah, at the end money for an idea which didn't came to the market. So, um, yeah, like every time in life, you need some, you need some, um, yeah, 
some lucky shots in every direction um, to make it happen, but it ha it happened. At Diva, it happened, and it, it, and when it's over, it's really a great you know a great feeling because you get spent so much work. You, you get really intense discussions with all the people. That is what is the first part of the new DNA because you've been talking very intense to the, those guys and. You know, but it, it, if it doesn't work, you have really, maybe you, you feel really bad. So, um, yeah. For my my for my learnings today, I would say it's better to start with one company, which is a core and has a strong heritage and buy on add-ons. But then the problem is that you have to look for founders um, who are really interested in leaving their DNA behind. Because if we buy a company today from Diva's perspective, we say the founders, okay, we like your business, we like you. But there are rules. The company is existing this way. We have a DNA, so you have to you have to you have to take over um, and accept the Diva E DNA. And in the initial phase, you can design it from from day one together. Yeah? Change of perspectives for the founders and the um, idea to design it together is much more drastic. Yeah? And again, um, much more uh, from the financial perspective, much more um, interesting as well because you. In the initial phase, you can get more um, shares because the value is lower. Um, yeah, but it's hard to handle for me as an as a guy who's organizing all the stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, very interesting. Um, and what were the steps once you had the private equity company and the 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 companies in line that that um, would basically form the foundation of of Diva E? Yeah, you know then. <laughs> Yeah, I, I forgot that phase because it's it's very, it's very right. <laughs> yeah, and then the due diligence starts. Yeah, and then you have to do the diligence over six companies or eight. We 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 we've, we've stepped into that process uh, with eight companies. So again, yeah, you know, most of the companies they never got in touch with um, due diligence before. So they have to collect a lot of data, and they get a lot of. Interesting questions from um, from the auditors. Yeah. So um, yeah, and some of the questions uh, from the point of the companies are stupid, or they feel themselves maybe a little bit. Um, I say yeah, um, um, not not um, not valued in total. Yeah. So you have really emotional discussions um, around the diligence phase, and it comes then to the investor who says or the investment firm who says, okay. Um, that's really crazy behavior, and you know we have really found a lot of things. So yeah, that's um, but it's a phase which starts if you have picked up one investment firm. Okay, and uh, now you you basically could close the deal. Um, you could start with a private equity company. Um, what were the high level steps from 2015 then to now? In, in total, we 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 have um, seen um, three. Um, three phases so the first one was about um, establishing a new dna in culture and for my experience which i had with the udg that was very important because um you know what we did at udg on the one hand right on the other hand not is we did a very intense communication to the market and we said here we are the new number one we are dealing with large clients and that worked very well as i already told you so we um, acquired a lot of clients but the um delivery um um, delivery organization um, wasn't installed yet. So, yeah, you know, we had 10 different companies working with different way, different style, different DNA. So we, we we acquired one client after another and they all failed. So, and then you have back talks and, you know, it's, it gets very hard to acquire new ones. So first of all, I tried to um, reduce or uh, see zero churn at the client and at the employee perspective and install a very... Um, a yeah, very purpose-driven and cultural-driven delivery organization. So, and that worked very well at Diva E. So, over the first three years, we had really we had a really uh, uh, fluctuation of employees of three percentage. Three percent. Wow, that is super with, low. Yeah, within within the post-merger, I yeah, know within the post-merger, which is wow. And we had, a, I, I think, we had a client churn of three or five percent as well. So that was really really good. But what we what we saw because we focused on putting all the things together and taking care of everybody. So to see, to show all the people we are not building a new company by doing grassroots, all the things new. But but we hear your voice and we collect your experience and you are part of building something new. The problem was that we that we didn't um, um, catch all our potentials. 
Yeah, because you know um, some synergies come from the um, come from the um, yeah from the um, action that you um, put old rules beside or that you create new rules. Yeah, that you change change things you did in the past. So maybe from today's perspective, that was the first three years, and we had we could have saved one or a half year and um, would have stepped faster in level two, where we said, okay, we are now one company. It works very well. We have no churn. And now um, the question is how we could bring that to the market. So say loud that we are here, that we are existing. So till you have to um, keep in mind, till 2018, we were 60 million large and nobody knew us. Nobody. If I went out to some uh, events, I said, oh, you never heard about it. And we, have, we had 500 employees because it was only collection of former companies, but it worked very well. So and then the second phase in 2018, we grouped the portfolio around which meant that we put some things out, yeah, which had not the potential to grow and which are, which were done at several locations the same way. And um, we installed a one sales approach. So um, yeah, only one sales team for our company. We grouped all the services together in shared service teams. We centralized the shared services. So, and then from that point on, the organic growth started um, um, to work very well. So, in that second phase, we, we have seen growth rates 15 to 20%. And then now we have the third phase, there is about to optimize the margin because we have seen the growth, we have seen the we've seen the general um, um basement that it works. We have installed the DNA, we have seen the organic growth, and now we want to see the margin optimization and come back to an industry-leading margin, yeah? which some of the companies had when we started when we acquired them, but we went down a little bit from the margin due to all the integration efforts. Yeah, understand. So the difference now that the, uh, how I understand it is you you invested more time in building out the organization, the delivery organization, so that you made sure that once you hit the gas, the clients are happy because you can do a good job. Absolutely. That might be counterintuitive because you don't see this fast growth because you're not investing so much into sales first, but more Absolutely. into the delivery. But when you're sure that you can deliver, then you hit the gas. Absolutely. That was the idea. And it, in, in total, it worked very well. But, you know, the, from level one to level two, it, it should have switched. Could have been faster. Could have been yeah. faster. I have one, one question or two, like two questions. One for phase one. Um, and even for smaller companies like ours, this is really interesting. Um, how, how did you build this? Or how did you approach this phase of building a culture? Like, first of all, how do you build a culture and then how do you implement it so that every every employee in your company knows the purpose, how you want to operate? I mean, culture in the end is what employees do when you don't have processes or no one looks at how they do it. And, and that makes a company in the end, I believe. Um, but it's, um, yeah, there's no clear, that's the only way to do it. So I'm curious on how you did it and if you would do it the same way or differently now. In a general way, I wouldn't do it. I would do it the same, but there are some minor things I would change. But from my point of view, um, it's about listen, talk, and engage. And I call that moments of truth because you can say so much about your purpose, your vision. The people met and um, in, in in personal meetings, and it and you know you're talking. You see, you're talking to assholes on the other. It won't work. So, so we created many moments of truth. We put the teams together. We started working together on projects. We installed many, um, yeah, events like um, a company-wide um, um, party, local parties, where um, the people met and they came in contact. So, and we listened to all the voices. We made many um, surveys. Yeah, we collected all the um, questions, and we always talked, talked, talked. And so it took us two or three years, and. Um, for sure we did something like cultural vision all the vision and the vision statement but it's 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 not it's not worth the paper you write it on if you don't have the, the feedback culture and um yeah and take the people with you on the journey so it's from my point of view it's listen talk engage and then it was make so intense and then it was if you as you collected right or something up right that is what um yeah yeah took us a little bit uh, from the organic growth yeah yeah, but it, it it builds a good foundation that you can that that you can build a lasting company because if you grow too fast in the beginning and you don't have that, um, I, I've seen that fall apart. Yeah, and then you think you you do really well, um, but two three years later you have a big mess and um, 
And that's a problem. And then you have to um, let a lot of people go that don't fit. You have to repurpose yourself. Um, and maybe you even lose clients because you didn't do a good job. Um, so now about the second phase, um, super interesting, um, building this um, the sales approach. Because nowadays, when you look at most consulting companies, they still have this old school way of doing partner-led sales, yeah, where it's all about relationships and um, they don't have a formal sales team. The marketing department is more like one, two people doing a little bit of PR, like to be really, um, really like um, polarizing right now, but that's what I see in most companies. So how does your organization there, um, how did you build it out and how does it look like? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely with you concerning consulting business. I think I'm just to me, uh, yeah, I'm just making some um, um, minds if it if it's the same in the professional service industry of the digital business. I'm not sure, but anyhow, we 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 created a sales team where are um, eleven people um, working on the existing clients and the new clients. Yeah, and you know we do a lot of marketing stuff, communication. All the outbound and inbound marketing um, things um, you, you have to take care of creating all the channel communication, and it works. That works. Yeah. So, but um, if I'm thinking about our other other competitors, they do it in the same way. I think so. Um, but I, I, you know, the, the 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 typical consulting business is driven more by personal relations. Yeah. So you know, have a partner who has a strong relation to all his clients. He Maybe he did many strategic approaches. So the CEO is very, um, is very grateful to him. And so that creates new projects. So it's a little bit different because we are talking always in the, in the former times we talked to, to the, to the IT guys. Now it's switched to something like the digital department. So chief digital officer who is, um, who is summing up the, um, um, commercial perspective as well as the IT perspective. But anyhow, it's, it's, it's most of the projects are technology driven so you have um, new tenders coming up all two or three years and so you, it's not about that strong relationship yeah so you have to make your um, voice to the market you have to do an intense partner management to the um, technology partners so that's what about yeah yeah i understand um but I mean, talking about the, the traditional um, consulting companies, I still see some companies do it differently and they're quite successful um, because I would challenge the notion that you have to have that this one person has to have the super great bond to the one CEO because usually you don't sell to the CEO. I mean, of course, if you have super strategic projects on a super high level, you do that, but the money is in the execution. So like you do, for example, for the digital or CTO um, role, there are different roles um, that consultancies usually tackle, and it's usually one or two levels below the CEO. And there you can, I would assume that you would still be successful if you do, um, if you professionalize your, your outreach. It doesn't mean that you, you stop the other stuff, but I, I still believe that there's, there's a way that most companies don't even explore, and I think it could be worth exploring. That's why I'm I'm asking. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing it another way because you know you have to you have to put your knowledge um, in the window. So doing white paper, something that, uh, and there's no other way it, it could work. Yeah. yeah I, but I, I I follow your mind when I look at what the companies did in their former times when there were only 150 employees. It was like you 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 stated there was a founder. With all the relations, and he also always went outside, went out for lunch and dinners, and that was like the business came. Yeah, because one of his clients switched to another company, so he had a new client. So yeah, yeah. And um, just as a side note, because um, I strongly believe that it is possible to build a professional service firm that is not dependent on the founder. If you if you um, build processes and departments and department heads so people in the right place so that you're not necessary anymore at your company. And then maybe it's not even necessary that you have a long um, buyout phase or whatnot because it doesn't matter if you're there or not. I mean, it, it's it's harder to build something like this and you have to build it a little bit differently than if you would do it normally. But um, I've talked to a couple of people, um, funny enough, mainly in the United States who were successfully building and selling their company, professional service company, and they didn't have an earnout phase at all. Um, because they have installed so much 
They installed something like a sales cycle, sales machine. Exactly. Sales team, processes for execution. They were not necessary for any part anymore. And they said, okay, now I'm not necessary anymore. What should I do? Sell it. Yeah. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. It's, when we look at companies and they have installed processes, um, quality gates, um, standards. So it's much easier to think about um, the company without the founder than if you have one who is getting up in the morning, telling all the people what to do and getting to bed. And yeah. Yeah, and that's maybe a good message for everyone who thinks about um, selling his company to a company like yours or to a private equity company that uh, if you want to sell it in five or 10 years, start now. Uh, build yeah. processes, make your company independent of yourself. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's, um, I, I, can, I can recommend it from a personal perspective because when, you know, when I started my business, we had um, the um, crazy idea. It was in the mid-90s. Maybe we have something like, uh, we do something like an IPO. So I... Um, founded an Aktiengesellschaft in Germany. And um, so, yeah, which is very easy. It's much, much harder to go to make an IPO, but we never did so. But we had to select some people for the board. And um, we said, okay, we don't want to have any family members but because it's boring. So we searched um, some guys from the industry and we met um, some guy who was heading at that time Otello, which was a German telco. Um, and he was he was educated by IBM, was uh, heading IBM Germany some years ago. So he was very, he was at that time 45, 50 years old, and he was very well educated. And he, from day one, he, he told me about, you have to design a process. And, you know, I was 20 years old. I said, fuck up your process. God, <laughs> don't, I don't care about processes. I want to do my business. And I'm very successful because I made 200,000 D-Mark revenue. I was very convinced for myself. And and so it was very hard for me to get taught by that guy, yeah, who was, in my opinion, old and boring. But after two or three years, I realized it was very good because I could do something and I could leave the company. I could make, uh, could go for vacation, and it worked because I was written down what to do and who to do that. And then when it came to the due diligence, we um, and um, um, Equity selected the ten companies. We were not the largest one, and we were not the one with the highest margins, but we were ranked at the due diligence for McKinsey on place one because, you know, we had a, we had a total, we had a handbook what to do. So, they, you know, the McKinsey guy, they came to us with, here, 100 page, just read it down, there's how the company works. <laughs> and honestly, the company worked like that. That was really crazy. But, but I realized, especially when I looked to all the other companies after the deals, yeah, because in normal competition situation, you don't have that much insights. But I did have with the other ones when we were grouped together that much companies or the companies with with, with, with lower process profile, they had higher margins. Mm, yeah. Lesson, yeah, because the lesson for me was maybe if you if you install too much processes, you acquire people who are process driven. And that guys are not that strong in the relationships and the, they don't have the creative potential to consult a, co um, a client and lead him to new um, to yeah, to new uh, sites, yeah. So it's always about a mix. But um, if you if you grow larger, you don't have any chances. And today, what we see at all the tenders, um, the large clients, especially driven from the automotive industry, they ask for standards like TSAX, ISO twenty seven zero zero one. So you, you don't have a chance instead of installing processes. Write it down. But you're right. If you have a smaller company and you come with a process book, everybody will say, "Okay, great." Yeah. If it's if it's the best way for you to work profitable and fast, I'm not 100% convinced. But like always in life, the the middle way is the perfect one. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And I I, I absolutely agree. In the end, um, because we're doing the same. We are like we are 15 people now, a really small company. Um, but growing fast and. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer in in processes, but I also want to keep the culture of break the process if it makes sense. So Absolutely. it's yeah. it's in terms of company culture a little bit more difficult to find people that can do both. Like keep a process and don't just break it because you're lazy. Break it or change it if you see a value add for the client. Yeah. And um, that's my challenge right now. Um, but I, I, I'm absolutely with you. We have to have both. Um, otherwise, your company is either getting boring and, and not relevant anymore in five years because you stick to your old processes or you only have creative people and everybody does something crazy. It's nice, but you cannot scale it. Yeah, You cannot scale it, right. So absolutely, that is more the way like um, marketing agencies worked in the 80s. Uh, so much creative guys, so much output, but no things to scale because of the creative, you have to, to actually decide to change his um, maybe place to work, it was, um, everything was away. 
or the value. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. But from the DYA perspective, I would add the same um, experience. We should have installed new processes a little bit earlier um, because now it's really hard if you are 1,000 people to install new processes because you have so much people which have been working with the old model and um, you have so much people to retrain and um, to talk to that would have been so. But at that time, I, I was on the way. It's you create higher margins if you work more with people who break in the process. So, you know, it's always a matter of time of the, of the, yeah, maybe of, of the CEO rule, which, which, um, yeah, which um, system you are favoring at the time when you are in charge. Yeah. So what are the most important processes that you established and why did you focus on these processes first at Diva A? So it's totally different. We started with the financial process because, you know, we are the PE firm invested. Um, and they had, and we did a um, bank financing very soon after the PE firm invested. So we had a lot of um, requirements from from a yeah institutional standard, yeah, con collecting all the data, making reports. So we started with that first, and we um, started also with the HR processes very very fast because our HR team was very strong, and you know we want to avoid avoid um, fluctuation. So and. We did the sales and key account managers process very, very late, as I told you in 2019. And I'm not sure that was um, um, the thing why I took some um, thinking time when you uh, stated the question. I'm not sure if it, that is a perfect um, order. I'm not sure. Uh, but concerning the finance um, process, you don't have any other chance if you have an institutional investor. Um, but um, if we would have installed stronger sales processes one or two years before, we would have performed better, I think so. Mm -hmm. But that was the order. Yeah. And in terms of positive outcomes because of processes, so what are the key one, two, three things? We already touched a few. You can scale faster when you have processes in place, but how do you leverage processes and also maybe data from these processes? Because processes uh, create data points at some steps, and you can maybe use those data points to get better, faster, cheaper, whatever. So what kind of learnings did you did you create there? First of all, the learning was to create as to collect as much data as possible. This <laughs> sounds very sounds very easy, but you know we started with um, different um, systems from all the former companies, and at that time I was on the way uh, on the on the uh, mindset not to work too process driven, not to invest too much time in in something like doing the basic, more about agile approach to the market. And so we um, we had, I think at the beginning, twelve different systems running um, in the for the finance and um, yeah, even more for all all the order management, uh, time management, um, and so we could we 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 were able to collect the data, but there were so much sources and it wasn't synced really well. So um, and we reduced that down year by year, and we but we are we are now we are in twenty three we we are. At the point that we are, I think it will be through in the summer that we have we have one system for all, one new system for all. Yeah. So it took us six or seven years in total. Okay. And do you already leverage some data and get better at some process because of that? Yeah, yeah. But honestly, it's not our strongest part of the of our story. Yeah, we did, we did. Um. Yeah, but uh, as a. I think the, the 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 part where we do it most is at you know all the utilization stuff. Looking at the weekly at the utilization, what is the reason why the utilization is higher or lower, the day rate. So all the delivery KPIs we are very keen with and working intense. But if you look on some things like what is your client structure, which product work with the client best, yeah, where are the earnings, um, the revenue streams for the client, that is really um, something where we could have collected much more data and we started that only. One or one and a half year ago, and um, we have a lot of potential to catch up. Yeah, we should talk in one, two years again and see what yeah. you did out of that. Hope so. Hope so, so. <laughs> very convinced. Yeah. Yeah, we could talk on um, for for hours. I think we have so many topics that we could cover, but we have to come to an end now with our conversation. So I have five rapid fire questions lined up for you, Tillman. Are you ready? Absolutely. Great. First question: What do you do to keep body and mind fit and sharp? Um, a lot of sport. Yeah. So what kind of spot? 
boxing, spinning. Um, yeah, I've started again to doing CrossFit. Yeah, and some jogging. So I'm doing sports every day. Cool. But this is very important because my other hobby is so what you what you call a foodie. Um, when I was when I was uh, in 2005, so when I was 30 years old, I I, I initiated a food blog for leading European Michelin star restaurants together with a colleague. It is called Sternefresser. Till today, it has 70,000. Ah, no, I know it. You know Sternefresser. Okay. I was Crazy. Me and Christian Strohmann. Cool. Um, I sold all the shares to Christian. And, you know, so my other hobby where I get a lot of inspiration from yeah, um, is, you know, eating and drinking, fine dining. And this is the reason why I have a lot of sports <laughs> because it's a, it's a very, uh, very unhealthy business. But um, also very interesting because those industry has dramatically changed to put um, professional way they work, they acquire people. You can learn a lot of things. So um, due to my strong connections, um, I, I um, took my team, my um, management team to in, in one one day in the kitchen, um, I showed them all the preparations like it works because, you know, the, the, the menu you get in the evening is only doing, it's perfectly prepared. So you, you see like a, a team is working perfectly together. So you can learn a lot of things. It's very interesting, but you know, again, it was a rapid question with a long answer, but <laughs> I'm doing sports and culinary inside and it's not the perfect mix, <laughs> but I have to mix it. Yeah, um, same, same for me, honestly. Um, I, I started a food company. It was called Tasty Box um, in 2011. We had to close it down after three years, but we looked for small manufacturers of really, really good food, put them in a box with a with a menu to cook and with a story of the, like Hello Fresh, but with like better food, so to say. Yeah, like um, for, for, for Michelin star chefs, yeah. Um, it's, no, 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 it was not from Mich Michelin star chefs uh, we sold some of the food to michelin star chefs but um, it was like the best cheese maker of of oh, really good cheese and the, the best um flour maker and then you make really good cash parts with the best cheese and best flour and it always tastes better so that was our angle but in the end um we learned that um it's more a delivery kind of or process driven business where you have to have the cost really low and uh, at least in germany the client was not willing to pay the money that you would have to pay but I, that's also why i love to eat and i do lots of like i do triathlon so uh same same kind of story but you look a little bit better in shape so maybe you have the right <laughs> mixture so we had to maybe you can we can exchange about that point as well yeah 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 uh, well i could definitely give you some uh, ideas on what kind of food you could try that maybe you don't know yet okay 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 yeah, yeah. um do you have a favorite business book Oh, I have a lot of, I, I read a lot of books. Um, 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 so I'm, I always mix up biopics with, um, with something like, um, um, with something like, you know, I wouldn't call it, um, yeah, um, business books, some more advisor books. So, um, so my first and most important book was um, managing the professional service company. I've learned a lot of things from that. Um, and, um, the most impressive one is I, I read two years ago was Leaders Eat Last. Yeah, That's more about impact leadership. But um, I always mix up single messages with um, the things I learned from great business guys. Yeah, Because you don't, you have to develop your own style. You have to develop your own rules. So I collect a lot of um, impressions. Yeah, um, And um, so I, I wouldn't even recommend to take everything from one book. Yeah, because nobody has the right answer to everything. Yeah, yeah, really good. But we put the books in the show notes. Thanks a lot for those Perfect. ones. Do you listen to podcasts from time to time? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, but it's mixed, totally mixed over to musicians, um, so true crime as well as business podcasts. Yeah. What's the? It doesn't have to be business related. What's the favorite podcast you listen to right now? Um, the most interesting, important one, honestly, for me is Handelsblatt. So okay. yeah, a little bit boring, but um, they have all the data collected. I can grab it up in the morning when I'm out for sports and get all the interesting notes. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, who should be our next leaders in consulting podcast guest and why? Good question. Good question. What I could what I could recommend, and um, I I didn't talk to her for a longer time, and I think she has a very interesting story. Is Ulrike Handel? She was managing. Um, she was managing Dentsu, um, um, which is a large. Um, agency firm and then she um, uh, was called to Axel Springer as um, 
um, as a member of the board and she um, she left there um, last year. So I think she's an interesting story from the migration from old publishing stuff to new publishing stuff as well as digital agency business. So That sounds interesting. I will try to get her on the show. And last, last offer for you. Now you can directly address our audience. Is there anything we can help you with, Tillman? Definitely um, with tips for sports, recommendation for other business books. And um, yeah, honestly, um, I like to get in contact with people. It's always interesting to learn a lot. So um, the most valuable thing would be if somebody finds my story, my ideas interesting and gets in contact to me. Yeah. How the, how can they best get in touch with you? Just write an email or LinkedIn message. Yeah. What's the email address? So it's tillman.au at diva-e.com. So maybe you put it in the notes as well. We put it in the notes and it's T-I-L-M-A-N dot A-U at diva, D-I-V-A minus um, E.com. Well, LinkedIn, they should find you. Thanks a lot. It was a two pleasure, crazy story. Um, congrats to what you did up to now. And I'm sure we will hear great things about you in the future. Thank you so much, Sammy. Very interesting talk and great preparation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our show. You would really make my day if you leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to our podcast. If you are a consultancy leader and want to win more clients without spending potential customers, I can show you how we help companies like Bearing Point and Econium Strategy do just that. Simply schedule a call with me, go to savu.io, S-A-W-O-O.io, click the strategy call button and pick a time that works best for you. Talk to you soon, your host Sammy.